0: Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Hello there, Angry Planet listeners. This is Matthew. Uh, We've gotten a lot, a flood of new listeners in the past 30 days. Um, And we've been recording a lot of really great episodes that we don't want to put behind the paywall. Uh, and given the situation in Ukraine and this flood of new new listeners, we we want to let them know kind of what those premium episodes look like and what we do. Uh, so we're going to release them on the mainstream this month. I really hope it uh, doesn't upset our Substack listeners too much. Uh, but this episode in particular is one of the ones that would have normally been behind a paywall. Uh, but we thought it would be good to release it here. We're also recording another one. That's about the changing um, nature of tank combat in land wars and and what this war in Ukraine means for that it's another episode that would have been paywalled that's going to be going out to everybody um, so enjoy if you like what we do here we're at angryplanetpod.com uh, but without further ado I'll get out of your way and let you listen to this excellent episode <laughs> People live in a world of their own making. Frankly, that seems to be the problem. Welcome to Angry Planet. Hello and welcome to Angry Planet. I'm Matthew Galt. Jason Fields is busy working for a living today. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I'm I'm pretty tired. Russia is at war with Ukraine. Vladimir Putin is making vague nuclear threats. Both Russia and U.S. officials are mostly trying to dial things down. A Russian defense official said that they don't have their hands on the button, and the Pentagon said it had canceled the test of a Minuteman missile. And Yet, days later, the U.S. head of Strategic Command said America needed to modernize its nuclear forces and reminded everyone that the test had been postponed and not canceled. If all of this is leaving you a bit anxious about the possibility of nuclear war, you're not alone. And to be clear, the possibility of nuclear war is still damn low, but that doesn't always make the anxiety go away. Uh, something that has always helped me deal with the threat of nuclear hellfire is pop culture. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And here to help me with that is Jacqueline Brick. Brick is an analog role-playing game personality, a nuclear policy dilettante, and a nuke wonk gadfly she's also the wonderful writer of many fine games including the Tin candles hack nuke quote a simple stark game about slowly dying in a city hit by a nuclear weapon thank you so much for joining us
2: thank you for having me so i uh i don't know if your listeners know this but i've been bugging you to introduce me in a podcast as a nuclear policy dilettante for the last year and here we are finally here we are in the
1: end of the world yeah, it just all it took was a, a land war in Europe to get us here. No kidding. Um, I
2: didn't. So before we go into nuclear pop culture, I had no idea the Pentagon was like, "Oh, we just postponed the test of a Minuteman missile."
1: Yeah. So right. the 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 press secretary had come out and said, "Like, hey, this is canceled. We're not we're we're not doing this right now." Right. And then yesterday, Strategic Command, I can't remember his name, uh, was was testifying, and he's like, "Look." We need we need to modernize our ICBM silos and all this X X Y and Z, and also we're still going to test that Minuteman missile. We just we're just holding off. Exactly, yeah.
2: Listeners, you can't see me, but I am making a jack-off motion. Just catch me, catch me, gatekeeping ICBMs from U.S. Stratcom at this point.
1: Well, just anytime Stratcom talks, someone should be just in the anytime. background doing that. Yeah, uh,
2: exhausting.
1: Yeah, they're they're in their social media presence, though. Okay, recently is uh, an all time nightmare. Yes, uh, that's like a whole other tangent. What's your what's your anxiety level right now, vis-a-vis nukes and the end of the world?
2: So weirdly, my anxiety level vis-a-vis nukes is quite low. Um, I mostly hang out on Nuclear Twitter with people like Martin Pfeiffer and Jeffrey Lewis and your own good self. Um, and people who actually know about nukes are very, very clear that, no, nukes aren't going off anytime soon. We're probably still around DEFCON 5 or DEFCON 4. And for those of you listening who think that sounds really dangerous, DEFCON counts down, not up. Um, but my anxiety is more around people who think they understand nukes and... To give a couple more credentials, because you gave me a wonderful intro, and I really appreciate that. My degree is in international relations with a focus in post-Soviet politics. So what has been happening since February 24th has been affecting me pretty deeply. And there is nothing more rage-inducing than seeing people go, Russia is invading Ukraine to blow up Chernobyl and turn Europe into a nuclear wasteland. That's their entire plan. And attempting to explain to people that nuclear fallout doesn't actually stop at national borders, and Pripyat is close enough to Russia that they'd be heavily endangering themselves by doing that, is nearly impossible. Because people want people have catapulted directly back into Gen uh, Gen X anxiety and not, hmm. I guess the best way of putting this is we're seeing the mutation of Gen X anxiety in real time because of social media.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, The one that gets me uh, and I had to, to like in real time, debunk a friend the other day who knows better Mm-hmm. Um, was telling me about how he's worried about a dirty bomb. Somebody, some of the like fissile material being collected for, yeah, just, and like to, to give the listeners just like a very quick thing. Like if any, if you ever hear anybody about somebody storming a nuclear plant to get nuclear material to make a dirty bomb, they like, don't like, it's they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They do not. Um,
2: also, there, there's a Robin Williams bit about this from 2001, where he, he just grabs his crotch and goes, "Oh, you like the Russians with the dirty bomb?" And that's all I can think of. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's all sure. I can
2: fucking think of. Whenever anyone's like, "Oh no, dirty bomb, suitcase nuke," ah. like,
1: yeah, the the just very simply like the 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 weight of nuclear material. Um, would make it very hard to make what would people would traditionally think of as a dirty bomb out of something. Uh, The explosion that is caused is always going to be much worse than whatever they think is going to be aerosolized. But anyway, setting that aside. I
2: don't don't think people actually understand the weight and density of nuclear material. Um, Like one of my, one of my favorite sort of nuclear accidents, because I'm the sort of person who has favorite nuclear accidents is uh, the demon core. Yeah, And something I didn't realize until recently is that the Demon Core, which has caused so many problems for so many people, was only three inches across.
1: Tell the audience what the Demon Core is.
2: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. The Demon Core was a nuclear, not warhead exactly, but experimental nuclear ball of material um, that's about as... plebeian as i can go with it um that killed gosh let me look up how many people it killed it was called the demon core because it had a long tail it was cursed yeah 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 it's okay so it's three inches across how much do you think it weighs matthew
1: oh um it's shocking and i can't remember what i can't remember what it is but you're about to tell me
2: 14 pounds yeah it is The size of a large... It it is the weight of a large cat. And it's three inches across. It killed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight people um, were involved with it and were hit with supercritical radiation. Um, I think only two of them actually died at the scene. But it was enough that this this core, this tiny, honestly, freaking tiny piece of plutonium. And it's literally referred to as a subcritical mass. In case you want to, you know, use the actual scientific term instead of an orb. You could, in fact, ponder the demon core if you wanted to. It is a favorite pastime of mine. But this, this orb, this three inch orb, caused enough problems for... The people studying in the Los Alamos laboratory that they eventually just had to take it apart.
1: Yeah. And you, like, so, you know, you translate that into thinking somebody's going to make a suitcase nuke. It just, it's just, it's not feasible. Like, you don't, yeah, it's just not going to happen. Don't worry about that.
2: (laughs) One of the funniest things I think about nuclear accidents like that is. And one of the accidents at the Los Alamos laboratory was literally a guy stacking bars of plutonium and he drops one in the middle. And had he not reached in, you know, <laughs> reflexively to be like, oh no, he wouldn't have died. But oops, now his hand is in the middle of the sun.
1: Yeah, I think Bummer. A, I think that's one of the things that fascinates me about it is how like, <laughs> It, so much of it is invisible to the mm-hmm. naked eye that it feels like a magical force Very in much. some way. Um, tell me your – so you and I are younger, I think, than the generation that is traditionally frightened of nuclear weapons. Yeah, I was right? born
2: in 92, so like a year after the fall of the Berlin Wall.
1: So I, I've, I have found with people uh, you know, around that generation that are interested in this thing, there's an origin story. Mm-hmm. Something happened that made them get interested in this. What's yours?
2: So mine is kind of funny. I was homeschooled for much of my life and I was homeschooled because of my ADHD. Um, and my parents at the time did not realize that special interests and hyperfocuses were part of ADHD. They just knew that I had at the age of six developed a system. Um, really quite alarming interest in the wreck of the Titanic. Um, But they decided that if they were going to continue homeschooling me, um, they wanted me and my sister to be socialized. So we became part of a homeschooling co-op. And one of my friends in the co-op had movie nights in his basement because his mom was very interested in showing, you know, these homeschooled kids, the classics and, you know, getting us some culture and one movie night happened to be Doctor Strange Love or How I Stop uh, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb.
1: How old were you?
2: I was eleven.
1: Oh wow!
2: Maybe a little early. Yeah, I did not understand all of the jokes, um, like I do now, and I. Wasn't sure I would enjoy it because I didn't really enjoy war films at the time. I still don't. It really depends on the war film. But this, these images of the clouds and the way people t- were treating this crisis in that movie, both as a cudgel and as... Basically, treating the crisis in every single extreme you can possibly think of like it's not a real crisis. It's a real crisis. This crisis will cause me to be able to push my uh, my political agenda. I got really, really interested in that, um, and I don't think my parents were thrilled by that because this is around the same time we were studying World War II in my history class, and then I started reading up about the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I was like, Oh my God, what the hell? And the sort of monumental horror image of the nuclear cloud has really stuck with me to this day.
1: So where do you put Dr. Strangelove now?
2: I do not put it in my holy, I guess it is a holy trinity of nuclear films. Um, It is definitely a film I will watch when I'm sad. Because it's extremely funny, especially once you understand that what Kubrick is trying to say is that nukes are the dicks, we wave at each other. But, like, it's fine. It's not my favorite, but I will definitely watch it if someone is like, hey, Jax, do you want to, you like nukes, do you want to watch a nuclear movie? And for being such a dark comedy, it's incredibly realistic.
1: That's the thing that I like about it is we – like, can you imagine 19, the, the early 1960s, right, that that thing comes out? Mm-hmm. Like, those are pretty similar to the conversations that are actually happening, but just played for laughs. The tone no is No lie.
2: I am literally waiting for Lindsey Graham to go, one night I couldn't complete the act of lovemaking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, As a South Carolinian now, lots of thoughts on Lindsey Graham. None of them good. Uh, But okay, what's in your Holy Trinity?
2: So a lot of people who engage with nuclear media, and I guess it's fair to say that my special interest now is more nuclear media than it is actual nuclear policy, but I am a dilettante, which I'm still really happy about. Um, Everyone who's involved... Everyone who watches nuclear films has their holy trinity and the top of everyone's holy trinity is threads. That one is indisputable. I have never met anyone who enjoys realistic nuclear media and doesn't say the threads is their favorite movie. Um, My second one is actually probably the war game, the 1965 one by Peter Watkins. Um, That is actually sort of the granddaddy of all these other films and it has my single favorite line about nuclear weapons in in any, any media. Give me and, the line. Uh, the line is, at this distance, a third... Oh, no. no I screwed it up. Let me look it up so I can read it to you in the voice.
1: Yeah, in uh, the dry British uh, narrator voice.
2: Oh, it's perfect. It's yeah. so perfect.
1: Um, I'm going to mug while you're doing that. So- Do it. War like that one is super fascinating to me because I think at the time I saw it I had to like find a pirated copy because it had aired I believe once on television in the uh in the 60s when it was commissioned by the BBC or no it hadn't been it had aired for executives and then they the executives were like we shouldn't show this to people um and then they had a screening in a movie theater uh, that was that was attended lightly by the public. Whoever I guess could get into the movie theater. And this thing was very controversial at the time. It's only about fifty minutes long, and it's a kind incredibly of incredibly good. It's incredibly good, and it's kind of a style of thing that they that no one was making at the time, where it's a a documentary as if a nuclear war is happening uh, yeah. in, and it's kind of set in uh, Britain. I think Sheffield, some like a smallish. Uh,
2: I don't think so. I think it's in the northeast.
1: It's the northeast. Okay. Oh, uh,
2: are you? Are we talking about Threads or are we talking about uh the War Game?
1: War Game. War Game.
2: Uh, Threads is set in Sheffield.
1: Okay. Uh, the That's War Game I'm...
2: is the War Game is mostly set in and around London, if I remember correctly.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think yeah you're right. Um, and so it, it's this stark it, black and white fifty minute what feels like a documentary, and Watkins, the director, used. Basically, like all the civil sor- service and home defense stuff that ha- that was available to like put together, you know what it would actually look like if, if a nuke went off in Britain, if like nuclear war happened, and it's yeah. fascinating and strange, and it absolutely terrified BBC executives, and they they it, and it was strangely uh, even though it was a faux documentary, it was nominated that year for an Oscar. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) as a documentary film. And then the, the BBC basically put it in a vault and where it sat for decades um, until it recently started to kind of get some airplay. And it, you know, it was for, it's one of those that's like comes onto YouTube occasionally,
2: it's on you know, archive.org as well.
1: It is on archive.org and it mm-hmm. it bubbled up on Netflix for a little while of all places. Oh, weird, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know if it's there anymore, but it was definitely there for a little bit. Um, he's got another great. Have you ever seen any of his other stuff? Other Watkins stuff? Um,
2: I know about Punishment Park. I haven't seen it.
1: Uh, the other one I've seen is Culloden, which is okay. about the battle of Culloden between the, the, the Scottish and the English. Mm-hmm. And similar thing. It's about an hour long, and he filmed it where the battle was taken, where it taking place, and it's in that same war game style, where it's mm-hmm. a faux documentary.
2: Awesome. I I love his work, and I I don't remember if he narrates the documentary himself, but whoever,
1: I don't think he does.
2: But whoever he got to narrate uh, the war game, just it's phenomenal. It's perfect.
1: Give me the line.
2: All right, I found the line the blast wave from a thermonuclear explosion has been likened to an enormous door slamming in the depths of hell.
1: It, yeah. You're right about the delivery of all this stuff. Cause it's all, it's very dry in matter of fact,
2: the best part, the best, that's the best line. The best part of how this movie is how dry and it, it's actually really fairly cruel to the viewer. Yes. but Not in a way that it wants not in a way that it wants the viewer to like vomit or anything, or like, it's not edgy, but it is cruel. Yeah. There is, there's one part I remember where I think it's the Anglican Bishop. Who's like, I still believe in the war of the just. And then the next line is immediately in this car, a family is burning alive.
1: Yep. And the, yeah. And then he gets his, is he the one that gets his eyes blown out too? I think. The Anglican. Uh,
2: no, it's the little boy and the the woman who goes and rescues him.
1: Yes, because they look at the yeah. Lord.
2: They look at the flash. Don't look at the flash.
1: Don't look at the flash, people. That's
2: your that's your nuclear survival tip for today. Don't look at the flash.
1: Or what's the third leg of your nuclear war film triad?
2: So this might be a little spicy for some people because a lot of people say it's it's either the day after, which is the American version of Threads. Mm-hmm. And that one's okay. John Lithgow does give a wonderful performance in that one. Um, but that that one gets a little silly in parts. Um, and it's not When the Wind Blows, which is also excellent. But I prefer the radio play because the radio play has the voice actor of Wallace from Wallace and Gromit oh, playing wow. Jim.
1: Oh, well, that's and good. That's I've never heard lot. the radio play.
2: That's on archive.org as well. I'm
1: going to have to look that up.
2: That one's rough cuz you're basically hearing Wallace and his wife go through a nuclear war and he calls her a bitch at one point and you're like, "Oh.
1: Yeah, I don't um, want to hear that I don't want to hear that voice say that word
2: in yeah, that context.
1: Right? It's no good."
2: Um, but no, my third one is actually Testament.
1: I don't think I've seen this.
2: So Testament is based off of the 1980 short story The Last Testament, which is a short story about a woman whose husband goes to work in San Francisco. It's either San Francisco or Los Angeles. Sorry, California City's blur for me. Um, but her husband goes to work about a hundred miles away, and then suddenly all of their TV, their TV and electronics go down, and then there's a massive flash outside the window, and all they find out is that someone nuked the u.s we don't know who we don't know why but instead of being a direct hit like threads or the war uh, the war game it's very much what happens when your only interaction with the bombs is fallout
1: oh that's fascinating i'm gonna see this i yeah it's got jason alexander and kevin costner in it i've Mm -hmm. i've yeah i'm gonna have to watch this that's interesting
2: it has this absolutely heartbreaking scene that's not in the short story, although the short story is very worth reading, um, where the mother is playing the piano, either playing the piano or managing the costumes for the elementary school's production of the Pied Piper. And one of the lines is, the children went away because the town wasn't worthy and maybe in 100 years or so will be worthy again. And it just kind of stabs the viewer in the heart and it's this little hope spot in the middle of this movie where everybody is slowly dying of poisoning. Yeah. Or radiation poisoning. And then you remember, because we were talking about this earlier, that radiation isn't magic. You can't negotiate with it. Yeah. You can't avoid it by doing the right hand gestures or writing the right symbols or doing the right chants—it It is there. And you now have to deal with it.
1: It's a force, right? It is. Um, mine is threads, obviously war game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have a weird, I have, I also have a weird one. Uh, matinee, the Joe Dante. Have you ever I am seen this? I'm not those?
2: familiar with that one. Tell me about that one.
1: So this is the, the guy that directed gremlins um it's from it's a movie from the 90s and i think this may be the first my parents rented it okay and we i watched it with them as a family and it's about a town in florida dealing with uh like during the cuban missile crisis Mm -hmm. it's like everybody in the community is, is is related to the military in some way so like there's you know there's a family with like Air Force pilots and everything et cetera et cetera, mm-hmm. and at the same time John Goodman plays a I can't remember what his name is it was either William Castle or Frank Castle the like schlock horror director from the 50s and 60s who would okay, put like I think it's Frank Castle it's Frank Castle who would put like the um, the electricity in the seats to like shock people in the theater and that kind of thing and always there was always a gimmick with whatever his bad movie was. Sure. Like that guy played by John Goodman comes to town at the same time and is trying to put on like a big matinee feature about a mutant ant. And so it's like kids dealing with cold, like it's dealing with the Cuban missile crisis and the cold war anxiety uh, through horror films.
2: Oh, I love that. Like
1: trying to distract yourself with this bad movie about uh, a mutant ant and like maybe going into the movie theater, you're going to come out to nuclear hellfire. Mm-hmm. um and it's just kind of a weird tone um you know that, that kind of like gremlins-y cartoony yet a little mean with a little edge to it kind of thing yeah and i i, I don't know that one's always maybe it's because it's one of the first ones i saw mm-hmm. uh, that one's always spoken to me i always liked that Thank movie that a lot.
2: um i would like to give a special mention to uh, terminator 2 judgment day for actually having one of the best nuclear scenes in fiction thus far that is not just directly about realistic nuclear war.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why you see that, like that screen grab everywhere online yeah. constantly. Right. It's the, mm-hmm. was that in the, that was the director's cut. That wasn't in the full movie. Yes. I don't think. Right? Um, I, I, I
2: don't, I don't know if the dream sequence is in the full movie. Cause the only one I've actually watched is the director's cut. I know that Kyle is in the director's cut and not the full movie, but I think the nuke scene is in the okay. normal movie. I'd have to watch it
1: again. Um, why is this? I mean, maybe it's different for you, but for me, like talking about these things and like watching these movies, I also like to play fallout. Even the bad ones, mm. um, are a comfort when dealing with this stuff. Why? I'm so
2: glad you asked that because I am a horror writer primarily. Um, For those of you listening who play tabletops, you may have seen my work in Changing the Lost or Deviant or any one of personal and systemic horror games. And I think it's so comforting to just be able to take an hour or two and either watch or play or otherwise engage with something that you think is scary in a controlled environment. And then everybody else around you going, oh, yeah, that's also scary because it allows you this moment of bonding over what some people might consider a weakness. I don't necessarily consider it a weakness Um, and really just being able to be vulnerable in a controlled way, allowing yourself to feel these huge emotions and reaping the benefits of whatever endorphins come out of that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that hits the nail on the head. That's perfect. And I think the horror analogy is really good. Um, cause I would say that my path to this stuff also runs through, I mean, that was pretty much all I read growing up was mm-hmm. horror fiction. And it was cause I was often a very scared kid and it allowed me to like kind of grapple with these things and have a yes. catharsis with it. Right. And like you said, experience it in a controlled and, and entertaining way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and bond with friends that were maybe reading the same material. Um, so to people that are new to this right now. So I feel like threads is like,
2: Threads is a little much. That is not the movie you want to start with. I saw Talia Laven talking about how a friend of hers had been like, Oh, we should watch threads and then not telling her what it was about. And it's like, no, you don't do that to your friends.
1: And, you know, we're talking around it right now. What, what is it? Because I think, you know, it's one of these that people may have seen images on or heard of from nuclear friends, you know, that, you know, Threads is this horrifying movie. What, what is it?
2: (laughs) Uh, Threads is the movie that caused me to never want to move to Great Britain, even though my husband has a dual citizenship. Um, It is a very, very famous or infamous. I believe it's, it was filmed in 1983 Mm -hmm. and it is set in 1984 or
1: 85. On March 5th.
2: Yes, you're correct. Thank you. It starts on March 5th.
1: Starts on March 5th, yes.
2: Yes. It (laughs) It starts with two young adults in a car. One is upper middle class. One is working class. And they're necking in the car as jets fly overhead. They get into a little bit of a fight. He picks her a flower, makes it up to her. They get back in the car. A couple months later, you find out she's pregnant. You find out there is a crisis in the Persian Gulf. I think.
1: I think so. Yeah.
2: But you're here. This is not a military film, right? You're right. hearing all of these military updates in the background, which is something I love so much about this, and why I'm going to shit so hard on some of all our all some of all fears later. Um, but the first hour of the movie is just this sort of soap opera drama so ruth and jimmy are in this relationship he gets her pregnant um he decides he's going to marry her because he's very proud and doesn't want to get an abortion his parents his parents for 1984 are very understanding like you know we could you could get it taken care of like have you talked we're just going to get married and have the baby grr because and he has this whole masculinity thing about taking care of ruth um they meet their families meet the dads get preoccupied by the tv elsewhere we see a guy who is some functionary in a local government being told that he has to go underground for his local planning committee because the threat of nuclear war is so high that they need to start getting people together to make sure there's a continuance of governance after the war he finds out he can't take his wife the stress starts ramping up as people start realizing what's going on, but everybody's dealing with their daily lives for the first hour of the movie. And then someone, some motherfucker, decides to use tactical nuclear weapons. And listeners, you can't see the scare quotes I'm making with my hands here. There is no such thing as a tactical nuclear weapon. And anyone who says tac nukes work is a fool and you shouldn't be listening to them. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at
0: uh1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news! Ad free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
2: Hey, Matthew, do you know how much how many tons of dynamite are in the smallest nuclear weapon or not in the smallest nuclear weapon, but the the blast force of the smallest nuclear weapon. Do you know what that is?
1: My answer to that would be, it doesn't matter. It's still a nuke.
2: It's 20 tons, but yeah, basically <laughs> 20 tons yeah. of dynamite. Uh, the Davy Crockett, a quote unquote handheld nuke can level two city blocks.
1: I mean, we don't have any more data. Well, there's probably some in storage somewhere, oh, yeah. but, but nobody's fielding. People kept getting sick and dying when they were testing them. So nobody's fielding those anymore. But
2: but the point still stands. Yeah, wild how being that close to a nuclear core will cause you to get sick and die.
1: Funny that.
2: Yeah. Um, Anyway, so about 59 minutes in, after the tactical nukes get dropped, then the nukes fall on Sheffield, which is where the movie is set. I believe the entire nuke sequence takes about 5 to 15 minutes. It feels like a fucking eternity there is no swelling orchestral music, there's there's no, like, cool sound effects other than explosions and screaming, there are no moments of heroism, it is disgusting, it is awful. Like, something I actually like more about The Day After Than I Do Threads is the monumental horror image of the mushroom cloud is actually more interesting and more classically horrifying to look at. The mushroom clouds and threads actually look fairly small yeah, given what you're expecting but the point isn't the mushroom cloud. The point is what's happening on ground level. Jimmy goes missing looking for Ruth. We don't see him again until the very end. Um, Ruth's family basically dies of radiation poisoning um, Ruth goes a bit mad and starts wandering through the streets of London afterwards. And then you realize that there's an entire hour of the movie
1: to go. <laughs> yeah.
2: This movie does not give you the climax of the movie is halfway through. The rest is just the nuclear denouement. Yeah. And it's rough.
1: It's one of the only, cause usually these kinds of movies either end with the nuke or begin with it, or it's something that happened off screen beforehand. Right. Yeah. So to have that, the, the nuclear denouement is a really great way to put it to like, have that be the back half of the film and like where the movie leaves you is so brutal.
2: Yeah. Also, do you want to talk about the film bookend? Cause yeah. there's beginning and end of the movie both start. With what song? I don't remember. Johnny, be good, by Chuck Berry.
1: I see. I can see the little girl running through the field at the end, but I can't hear the music. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you know about the? Do you know about the direct line between the War Game and Threads?
2: I do not. I know some cool film trivia about Threads, but I do not know the direct line. Please tell me.
1: I actually, I've I've interviewed the director um, because I think they had the the anniversary was a few years ago, and they 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 did like a big marketing push and put Mm -hmm. out a fancy Blu-ray transfer and all this stuff. Um, The BBC, like the the into the eighties, the story about the war game and the BBC suppressing it was like something that people kept bringing up, and they were it was like a black mark against them. Yep, and they wanted to get rid of it. And so they they were like, "We'll let's do the war game again," um, and you know, like try to do a modern version of that. And Mick Jackson's the guy that directed it. Like, gets really deep into nuclear war studies, does the same thing that uh, Watkins had done. Like, does all the same research, but sees like where it is twenty years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and produces this little another thirty minute Watkins style documentary called QED: A Guide to Armageddon which I believe Ooh. is on YouTube. Yeah, I'll, 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 drop it. I'll drop a link for you. Um, then it's such a success that their BBC is like, well, what else you got? And Jackson was like, well, I want to do something about nukes, but I want it to be about the psychological effects on society. I want to hit it in a way that a documentary can't. And he pitched threads. And they said, great, mm-hmm. go for it. And that's why we have that movie. So like war game getting censored leads to the creation of threads in this roundabout way, because people were people at the BBC were ashamed of what had happened.
2: Wow. Yeah. And yet they still banned threads.
1: Did they afterwards? They did. Oh, they did. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They did because it was, they showed it when they show it once. And then it was, it was, I mean, it's, it's, I can't stress how, horrifying like horrifying is the wrong word but like it's not sexy no the way that a lot of these other the way that like a lot of stuff is right like it's very bare bones and matter of fact torture
2: in the way torture actually works instead of like the sort of hellraiser sexy blades and leather way some people think torture works it is not it's banal Yes.
1: Yeah. But that's a good way to put it. It's b- banal. There's no, there's no Mad Max style post-apocalyptic gangs running through. There's just people in rags trying to eat,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and just trying to survive.
2: Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I love a Mad Max movie. I loved uh, Fury Road is pretty much um, like my, in like my top 10 movies of all time. But like, whenever people hear me say, Hey, I'm looking for more nuclear media. The thing I get most often is, have you watched Mad Max? Have you played fallout? I'm like, guys, that's, that's, that's not what I
1: mean. Well, which fallouts there's a a big, you know, there's a big difference between all. (laughs) I would argue those first two are actually pretty good. Uh, for, yeah. If you've ever played the, the old ones, the isometric ones, I haven't. Uh, I would. I think those first two, and this is why I always play them whenever they come out, even though mm. they make me sad now because um, mm. they're just theme parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first two, I think, really do get at something. Um, they really get at why this stuff is bad, and they really expose those anxiety, those anxieties of the boomer generation in some interesting ways. Awesome. Uh, New Vegas too, actually. I think really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, like a great, a great anecdote. Uh, like there's all in new Vegas. There's like, there's a faction literally called the boomers oh. um, that are, they, they worship like SAC pilots because they are, um, they, they've settled near where like a B 52 went down and they okay. know it's down there. They want to, they want to excavate it. And so like the way you have to, if you want to, to like try to win them over to your side, you have to like go through this whole thing where you learn about their history and you start to piece together that they are the kind of people that are like um, the exact kind of wrong people. You don't want to have nuclear weapons. Oh, no. um, they want you to help excavate this, this, this B-52 for them. It's fascinating. You should, the new Vegas is worth playing. The first two are worth playing the other ones are mostly like three and four and 76 or theme parks that mm-hmm. kind of uses, you know, I think uses the aesthetic, but doesn't really have sure. much interesting to say. Um, so and, like
2: no shade to you guys. If you like fallout, it just, no. it is not my thing. Um, weirdly, weirdly Stephen King, who is one of the people I have Twitter just yell at him to shut the fuck up. um, has really interesting things to say about nukes and stand and it's buried because of everything else that happens in the stand and like, don't watch the 2020 version. It's God awful. It was very it, bad. It, it completely misses the point of Randall Flagg as the magical fascist, but at least the costumes were good. Um, well,
1: what is, what does the book have to say about nukes?
2: So Late in the novel, Randall Flagg sends uh, the trash can man into the desert to locate the big fire, which is a nuclear weapon. And what he's essentially attempting to do is use this incredibly damaged, volatile young man to build an army, which I don't know of anyone who has ever done that before. The trash can man blows up the airfield that they had so carefully cleared. Is like, oh, no, I fucked up. If I go get him the big fire, then I will be forgiven. So trash can man goes into the desert, gets a nuke on his little. I guess it's like a four wheeler with a dolly behind it. And in the novel and in the 94 version comes back. Covered in radioactive burns, which is not actually something that would have happened based on the type of nuke he's carrying. Um, because I it's not a minute man it's smaller, but
1: yeah, I don't remember what it was, but it was a, a rocket. One. It's a rock yeah,
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's a rocket that you drop out of an aircraft. Um, so it's not an ICBM, but he comes back and he's like, Look, I've brought you the fire, and flag flips out because this person that he's so very carefully groomed to be his demolitions expert and you know is using has now brought this incredibly dangerous device into the middle of his city at his moment of triumph when he's going to murder the two remaining witnesses by not drowning, which was one of the worst choices made in the 2020 version, but by dismemberment via truck. And he's like, what are you doing? Why have you brought this here? And he's like, I brought you the fire. Randall Flagg starts throwing around all kinds of crazy energy. There is a literal deus ex machina where Randall Flagg's energy turns into the hand of God and destroys the nuke and Vegas along with it. And it's just such an interesting commentary on the sort of people who want to use nukes. Because Trash Can Man doesn't actually want to use the nuke. He just wants to please Flagg. Flag really, really, really wants to use the nuke because wow, that's so much destructive power in the palm of my hand. And by the end of the novel, it's basically his own hand that destroys himself.
1: Yeah, no, I like think that's a really good succinct way. Uh, like, there is so much there, right?
2: This
1: <laughs> this double edged sword that you're always kind of stabbing into your own throat. Should you yep. push it into your enemies? Um, what makes dumb. What, what makes a bad nuclear movie?
2: I, I feel like I've been saying, I I'm so glad you asked too many times, but these are, these are all the sorts of questions that I wanted to be asked in this interview. And I really appreciate it. Um, so somebody recommended the TV series, Jericho to me recently.
1: I have seen I like, Jericho.
2: Yeah, and I was like, oh cool, that looks interesting. It has a deaf character, it has this, that, and the other. It's not really about people dealing with fallout. It's not really about people dealing with explosions. It's about people trying to uncover a conspiracy of the US to nuke itself. Which did you
1: well wait, did you finish it?
2: I got to the third series where they made the barrel bombs.
1: Yes. Because they were they were nuclear barrel bombs detonated all across the 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 country, yeah, so that business interests could move the capital to Wyoming, if I yeah. remember right, mm-hmm. and then Texas ends up saving everybody. Yep, but setting that aside, um, the reason you're not, I, 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 I remember this and I just thought it was really funny. The reason they're not dealing with nuclear fallout in the TV show is because Jericho, Kansas, where it is set is for some reason magically in this, like the perfect place where the winds will never bring anything bad ever. I I remember that distinctly for, for, for some reason, Jericho was spared the worst of the radiation because of. Paging
2: Alex Wellerstein, paging Alex Wellerstein of nuke map, Alex Wellerstein to the floor, please.
1: (laughs) Um. Yeah, it's just very strange. Hey, right.
2: I uh, no, I didn't. I somehow missed that bit entirely, and now I'm just even madder at it because it's not. It's not a. It's not a show about nukes. It's a show about conspiracies that somehow decided that nukes are going to be the way this this business interest is going to move the capital to Cheyenne for some fucking Cheyenne, reason.
1: Cheyenne, that's where it was.
2: Yeah, because they wanted to move it to Cheyenne Mountain. Yeah, and. Yeah. Like the One Hundred, which is an absolutely ludicrous show that I really enjoyed, made a better use of nukes than Jericho, which is a show about nukes. like it's it's absurd. It's people are like, oh, it's so realistic and it's it's really cool and Jax, you'll really like it. I mean, whenever. Okay, I keep talking about the monumental horror image of nukes, and there's a wonderful article on the outline by Sean T. Collins, which is what I am referencing when I say this. Um, The mushroom cloud is something we all understand to be bad. Right. Like seeing a mushroom cloud on the horizon means that the no fun times are here and no one's going to have a good time ever again what we fail to understand about that is that any explosion big enough can make a mushroom cloud. And like, do you remember, do you remember when the fireworks factory exploded in Lebanon? I think. Yeah. It was? Yeah.
1: yeah, With all the ammonium nitrate in it. Yeah. Uh, and there this, was a
2: huge mushroom cloud and people were like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Israel nuked Lebanon or whatever. Or yeah, like, I, Oh my God, it's a dirty bomb or a suitcase. Like, no, there was
1: another round of this recently. Uh, I think it was like an ammo, ammo or a fuel depot exploded in Ukraine. Or you know was shot and exploded. I think
2: it was a fuel depot. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I, I had friends reaching out to me, being like, "Oh my god, is it nuclear war?" It's like, no. No. If you get a big enough explosion, it makes a cloud like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's that's actually really interesting too, because um, what they did for the the nuclear explosion in Threads was actually a practical effect. So they had to, yeah, they had to let the entire town know that they were just setting off this massive explosion for that those couple of shots so that they didn't freak out it's actually why they thank the town of Sheffield in the credits (laughs) um and also there's a lot of a lot of the um extras are from Sheffield um but we sort of understand nuclear weapons and I'm this is this has become a thesis that I have formulated in the past couple of years. We sort of understand nuclear weapons like we understand a true crime. Right. Right. Like we have this idea that serial killer bad, but serial killer also sexy. And so you have nuclear weapon, nuclear weapon bad, nuclear weapon also kind of sexy. And then you wind up getting movies. In the serial killer genre, like the Poughkeepsie tapes, where the serial killer just outsmarts everyone, and no one can possibly understand what's going on in that brain of his. And then you start getting stuff like Fallout, where uh the nuclear radiation mutates everything, and you get cool powers out of it. And you never actually see the human cost of it because we're so focused on this thing that is very unlikely to happen. Um, I can't remember the name of the logical fallacy. It might be like the frequency, the free, the the frequency myth, or basically the idea that the more unlikely something is to happen, the more, uh, the more dangerous we think of it as.
1: You think that's why we've generated so much art about this?
2: I think so. Um, and I think, I think some of the art is quite good. Because we talked about Threads, we talked about Testament, talked about the War Game. Um, But then you get stuff like The Sum of All Fears.
1: This is my next question is, what's your beef with Tom Clancy?
2: What isn't my beef with Tom Clancy?
1: Or rather, no, when we talk about Sum of All Fears, are we talking about the Ben Affleck movie? Oh, well, yes, we, so I'm talking okay. about the
2: Ben Affleck movie. There's, this, there's a couple of really cute lines in it. Like when he's in bed with the woman he's sleeping with, she's like, you have a problem. And it's that you're in love with me. And I'm like, okay, that's actually kind of charming. But then you have the line where Morgan Freeman's like, ah, yes, we have these drills for worldwide nuclear war. But what would be more dangerous is if a random guy gets a hold of a nuke, then we're really in trouble. And then you see a bunch of generically Bedouin Scavengers pull a fully active and minimally damaged Israeli nuclear weapon out of the sand where it's been laying for like 20 years. Nobody went to look for it. This is just a find that they discovered and they pull it out with a fucking flatbed truck and a pulley and then they sell it to a guy who has a gold ring that has. Uh, swastika carved into it, because that's how you know he's a bad guy. And this bad guy's like, oh, I have this nuke. Now I'm going to start war between the US and Russia for reasons. And it's a military movie, so they're trying really hard to show you how smart they are. And nobody gives a fuck.
1: Like, nobody in the audience gives a fuck? Or no, nobody-, nobody in
2: the movie gives a fuck. They're all treating it like real politic. They're not treating it like the end of the fucking world. They're not treating it like the characters in, again, I'm going to reference threads here again, sorry. Um, Like the scene where they're watching Protect and Survive, which if you haven't seen Protect and Survive, it's fucking awful. It's so much worse than uh, Duck and Cover. And like Ruth and Jimmy are painting their apartment and Ruth just stops and collapses because she's like, Oh my God, what if I have to deliver my child into the apocalypse, which spoiler she does. Um, but meanwhile, in some of all fears, it, it's like, they're playing a freaking chess game.
1: I think it's thinking about it. Like war movies are all, uh, I've always thought that like war movies in general are a kind of exploitation. Yes. There's different levels of grossness to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about nukes that because they've only been used twice mm-hmm. in war, because we have like the John Hershey book and like we know how devastating they are, that when you see them used as a plot point in something like Some of All Fears, it h- really highlights how gross turning some of the stuff into entertainment can be. Yep. if It's not handled properly. Yeah. Right. It It becomes becomes a true crime podcast.
2: Yeah, very much. It becomes what TV tropes refers to as the idiot ball.
1: Right. Yeah. That's.
2: And it's interesting because we sort of have the same brain rot around this that we do around true crime because you will see so many people nowadays on Twitter or Reddit be like, to give you an example, I saw this morning. This one, this woman is like, oh yeah, you know, sometimes I put on Deadpool for my toddlers because they really like all of the the loud visuals and the you know the the silly faces that Ryan Reynolds makes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And someone commented, "Why would you show your children this movie unless you are literally grooming them?" Like that—that's not what grooming means. I know I've been groomed by older men before. Um. I've seen people say, oh, if somebody's following you around a store, that means they're marking you for human trafficking. We have this sort of mythology around specifically trafficking, gang and sexual crimes, this elaborate ritual mythology. And like, oh, no, guys, I think I was almost trafficked today. This weird thing happened to me or guys there was a zip tie left on my car door. Should I go to the police or will they kill me if I do that? Like this sort of, we were talking about how horror becomes this fun adrenaline rush in a controlled environment. But once you start taking it out of a controlled environment where everybody is consenting to the experience, then it starts becoming a problem.
1: Right. that And that's how you get people on Twitter advocating for the use of tactical nukes.
2: It's how you get QAnon,
1: and how you get QAnon. Yeah,
2: QAnon would have been fine if it had literally just been a LARP. Like I have designed a LARP based on how QAnon spread because I didn't even have to write any new rules. I just had to read the Q drops and listen to QAnon Anonymous. Big shout out and like figure out what paths these people were following because at the end of the day, what they actually care about is not child sex trafficking or you know cabals of evil people or whatever they want the dopamine they just want the dopamine of, oh, i figured this out oh my gosh i figured out this super secret thing they want to be solving a puzzle they want to be important they want to be at the center of a narrative and yes you're correct these people on twitter who are like ah oh, just nuke russia into glass like i grew up far right i i was i think i was like Nine years old, eight years old, nine years old, when um, the the Twin Towers went down. And the number of people in my family in the years passing going, why don't we just nuke the Middle East into glass? It's not like it's a useful region anyway. Is astounding to me now.
1: So how do we then engage with this media responsibly?
2: Oh that is a good question and I'm not sure I have I don't know that I have an overarching answer I don't know that I have a solution to this because people are always going to look for their dopamine wherever they can find it I'm using dopamine specifically because as somebody who is neurodivergent I have trouble making dopamine in my own brain and I know it can be really hard for me to find it um I I am the sort of person who, when I'm struggling, will read about genocides, or I will, you know, watch threads. And I think what it becomes, I think it becomes really important to have these boundaries between yourself and the material, right? Like, if I am reading about genocides, if I am reading about the Holocaust, if I'm reading Mouse or the, any of the books I had to read for my history of the Holocaust course in college, or even Shoah, Charnel Houses of Europe for Wraith the Oblivion, which is actually one of the best tabletop books in existence because it's not a tabletop book. It's a history book with tabletop elements in it. And I think that's what's really important is it, it becomes less about the endorphin generation and more... What can I take from this instead of how can I cause there to be more of this horrible thing that I am thinking about in my life so I can get more endorphins out of it? Does that make sense?
1: Yes. No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, as someone who also is pretty attracted to some pretty gross things, Mm -hmm. um, it is something I think about and it's something I, I am constantly aware of what my own personal barriers should be mm-hmm. um, and what I put out into the world. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's, in- it's
2: hard. I won't lie to you. I'm not perfect. I've made missteps. I'm sure you have too. And the best part is the best thing we can do at that point is be like, Hey, I fucked up. Let me do what I can to mitigate this and move on. But Like, if people are interested in nuclear weapons texts, like, there's a lot of good stuff out there. You just need to know where to look. Um, I finished rereading Jeffrey Lewis's, uh, I think it was 2022 commission on the U.S., uh, the North Korean attacks on the U.S.
1: Right. Um, When when Twitter causes a, a nuclear war. Written by a guy who would know how that would happen is very engaging. So it was and interesting.
2: very, very good. Yeah. And what's interesting is again, we were talking about Doctor Strangelove earlier and how it sounds like the sort of conversations we're having today. And it does. Like this it Jeffrey Jeffrey Lewis is a professor of nuclear history and policy, isn't he? You would know better than I you've had him on the show.
1: Uh it's not yeah, I'll I'll just say yes.
2: Okay. Um but it's an incredible text because it is written like an investigation or commission report. And it's still just bananas. Like the level of absolute, I don't even know the word for this. The level of absolute nonsense you have to get to in order for a nuclear weapon to actually be fired is um a lot. Like it involves Trump getting punched by one of his aides in one of the most memorable scenes. Actually the aide who is carrying the nuclear football in that scene fucking punches Trump in the face. It's it's very, very cathartic. Um because Trump wants to instigate the war.
1: Um people everyone should read that, I think. Yes. I think it'd be it's interesting, especially now because it's we're very, past yeah. that particular Scare.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. So it makes it, I think a little bit more palatable at the moment. Cause we can look back mm-hmm. in hindsight, he's not in power. Nothing happened Yeah. Well, in that, on that front. Yeah. Um, but I think it makes it easier to digest. So for anyone that wants to get that is fresh to this stuff, that is their, their nuclear anxiety is just starting. Um, what do you recommend as like a starting point, either fiction or nonfiction to like learn and engage in this stuff? and get like better educated and also allay some of your fears.
2: Um, One of my favorite tools is Alex Wellerstein's nuke map. It is an interactive tool that you can see how a nuke would affect your city directly or indirectly. I strongly recommend it. Um, That is the only nuke map I recommend because if you go looking for maps of nuclear targets, you will find maps that are basically out of date, by between 20 and 60 years, and you will just scare yourself. Please do not do that. Um, Please do read Dr. Jeffrey Lewis's book. It is wonderful. You will really enjoy it. Um, It's written very frankly, but also officially. So it is, it's actually a surprisingly easy read. Um, It is very much a political thriller in some ways, but it is not it is not the sort of political thriller that uses a nuke as a cute little go away button, which is sort of my derogatory nickname for stuff like some of all fears. Um, definitely watch the war game. The war game is very good. Um, some people may say, Oh, you know, you should watch or read when the wind blows because it's our cartoon. And that makes it easy. Do not
1: do not. No, That one's hard. That one's rough.
2: It's wonderful. It's very good. If you want to cry a lot, yeah. Um, that's another movie that has a nuclear denouement.
1: yeah, it, almost the whole movie is a nuclear denouement, really. Yes.
2: I think we've coined a new term here that's very exciting.
1: yeah, I like it.
2: um yeah, if you want to look into actual uh international relations paper on this papers on this stuff, Alex went is my favorite international relations theorist. He's a little weird. But he's really fun. Um, he All the
1: nuke people are a little weird.
2: Well, he's a constructivist. He's not specifically a nuke person, but he's okay. the person who wrote papers titled Sovereignty in the UFO.
1: Nice. Okay. You're <laughs> so, going to have to send me some Alex Wentz stuff.
2: I sure will. You can have me on to talk about norms and values next time because, boy, howdy, do I have a lot to say about that.
1: I sent you the Carol Cohn papers. You
2: did. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You should mention Carol Cohn too, because she was, I, I loved the sort of feminist approach to nuclear war theory, because as we said earlier in the episode, a lot of fiction tends to have the nuclear weapons being the dick that people are throwing on the table and being like, how are you going to handle this? And I think, I think in some ways um, a lot of our favorite nuclear movies that we've mentioned tend towards a more feminist interpretation
1: yeah and they have a lot of there's a lot of women at the center of the stories yeah. and it's about kind of their experiences, right I and it's about, about their that. community and it's about it's the true. communities yeah. yeah like well th- and, you know it's in the title threads yeah right? It's about the delicate threads that inter that interweave everybody mm-hmm. um yeah Carol Cohn is a is an academic and did a lot of really amazing work just kind of what I would call like academically calling bullshit on you sure did. the way. That people in charge, the nuclear priesthood, we call them, the people that are actually in charge of this stuff.
2: Oh my God, I forgot that that's where that term came from. And it's such a good term because it is very much this religion about who gets access to nuclear weapons and why they get access to nuclear weapons and the rituals that surround nuclear weapons. And again, the sort of brain rot that goes into thinking about nuclear weapons in the same way that we think about true crime and this almost I don't want to say theocratic, but there's almost fantastic religious way. I'm thinking about them. It's not something that could possibly happen or something that could possibly be banal. It's something that we want to experience almost in theophany.
1: It's I'm reading a book right now. It's nonfiction, Russian nuclear orthodoxy. It's by a Russian academic and it's about the relationship between the Russian Orthodox Church oh my God. and their nuclear priesthood. And it Are is.
2: You send me your copy once you're finished with. it. I me? will
1: send you the copy once I'm finished with yeah, it. Excellent. It's 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 fascinating. All right, but we've got to go. Thank you for coming on to Angry Planet. <laughs>
2: can I plug my plug? Yes, plug your right pluggables. To quote Robert Evans,
1: "It's good friends." Um,
2: but you can find all of my links on Linktree slash Rufflejacks. That's Linktree slash R-U-F-F-L-E-J-A-X. You can also find me on Jacquelinebrick.design, which is my personal website. Also, please go check out Alex Wellerstein, Dr. Jeffrey Lewis, Martin Pfeiffer, all those wonderful nuclear folks that I follow and that Matthew follows who do a wonderful job of sort of breaking down the anthropology and sociology of the nuclear weapon.
1: Jax, thank you so much for coming on to Angry Planet and walking us through this.
2: This has been a dream come true.